Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the mothers that are here, uh, that you would bless them, that this would be a blessed and special day for them. And uh, Lord, as we get into your word, uh, there was a mother who shaped uh, a future prophet of Israel through her prayers and faithfulness. And we'll see the fruit of that in this chapter, Lord. So Lord, open our eyes to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So First Samuel chapter 3. Um, we did chapter 1 and 2 a while ago, but so let me give you a little backup again. Uh, this book bridges the gap between the judges and the kings of Israel. Samuel is the judge prophet that helps transition into uh, transition the nation of Israel from its theocracy under the judges to the monarchy under the kings. Uh, he is also the last prominent judge of Israel. And keep in mind, during the times of the judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And even though that happened, there was a mother and a father in Israel, Elkanah and Hannah, who did do what was right in the Lord's eyes. And they did uh, raise their son Samuel, who they prayed for uh, probably for years with many tears before they got him. But she was faithful, and she dedicated him to the Lord. Um, Chapter 1's theme was a deeper dedication. God was seeking that from Hannah and why he put off giving her a son for so long. Chapter 2 was a contrast between the wickedness and the faithfulness that was in the nation. And the theme of chapter 3 is going to be hearing his voice or hearing God's voice. Now, when you read a chapter, you always want to read it several times. You want to pick out the key words or you want to read the key phrases and find those in there. So when I was in Cambodia... During my devotions every morning, I would read chapter 3 over and over again. And it's only 21 verses. But the word of the Lord, or his word, is mentioned three times in verses 1, 7, and 21. The phrase, the Lord called, or something similar, is mentioned five times in verses 4, 6, 8, and 10. The word revealed is mentioned twice, verses 7 and 21, but it's important to connect the rest in here, even though it's mentioned twice. The words, here I am, is mentioned four times in verses 4, 5, 6, and 8. The word listening or hear is mentioned three times. Uh, It's the same Hebrew word, shama, which means to hear intelligently with obedience and attention. And those are the key words or phrases in that chapter. Now, Verse 1 says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So in the first two chapters, we read of a judgment brought by a man of God to Eli. God didn't speak often, And the only one we actually read in the first two chapters is this man of God bringing judgment to the house of Eli. So when God has spoken, at least in this time, for however many decades, it seems to have been a word of judgment. Now, the question is, why is the word of God so rare in that time? And we also can think about if it's, have we ever felt like 
the word of God has been rare. Like we, we can read the Bible every day, but sometimes maybe it doesn't connect. Maybe it's not hitting the heart like it should. Uh, is God being silent towards us for some reason? Or are we not just listening? Are we just not listening? Um, so if the word of God is rare, why would that be? Now, scripture has answers, and it has more than the verses I've got here. So I have three. Now, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. So the first reason, possibly, that the word of the Lord is rare for Israel is they're not really seeking. Now, they don't have godly leadership at this time either. Eli's sons are manipulating the people. So the people are looking at God's tabernacle and going, I really don't want to go there. I don't want to seek God if this is what it's like. So they're not seeking. Now, James 4, 7, and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So is there some area that they were double-minded in? Is there some area they haven't submitted in? If instead of coming near to God, did they step back? Now, Matthew thirteen fifteen is a quote from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And this verse from Isaiah is actually mentioned three different times in the Gospels, or two different times in the Gospels and once in Acts. It says, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with the ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. The point of this verse is not that God is closing their ears on purpose necessarily, but he's allowing them to have their way. Some people purposely don't hear from God because if they do, they would then be accountable to him. And even as Christians, you know, we don't want to always hear the direction God has us go. We go, sorry, Lord, I didn't hear you. Can you switch different channels? I I didn't catch that. And, you know, I'm going to admit to you on tape. There's sometimes they call me at work that I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. And I turn the walkie off sometimes because I'm busy doing something else. I might be taking care of some part of the job. But you're not supposed to, just like I'm not supposed to switch off the walkie, we're not supposed to switch off God when he's trying to speak to us. And I believe that these are some of the reasons why the word of God was rare for Israel in those days. And if it's rare for us in here, any of us in here, that's also possibly one of the reasons. Now, verse 2 and 3. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Now, the lamp of God had not gone out simply means that this was before dawn. Uh, Exodus twenty-seven twenty-one refers to the responsibility of the priests to tend to the lamps until sunrise or just before dawn when the lamps were allowed to go out. So this is referring to the timetable that we have. So this is right before uh, the morning light comes up when this is happening. Verse 4, this is when the Lord calls Samuel at this time. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. How does God speak? How did he speak to Samuel? How will he speak to me? How will I know it's him? Now, 
I have never heard God's voice audibly. I know that he does speak to some people audibly. How he spoke to Samuel here, I don't know, but I know that Samuel, his heart was sensitive enough to hear a voice, whether it was audibly or just in his mind. Um, A lot of times, though, God does speak to us, like I said, by that inner voice, and usually by the thoughts and feelings which may come into our hearts and our head, and those are prompted by God. And a lot of times, they didn't have the word back then in a solid voice, not every, or in a solid book form, not everybody. They had it in scrolls. But when we're reading it, a lot of times we may read a chapter in Philippians 2 and go, oh, God's speaking to me there. I totally understand that. Uh, there was one point in my life, um, I was going to Calvary Chapel in Mesa, and I was like, okay, I don't, I'm not called here anymore. And I didn't know where I was going to go. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to join the army. And I had mentioned that to somebody who worked there, one of the teachers. And her dad was a pastor. And she said, well, what verse did God give you for that? What do you mean, what verse did he give me for that? Well, what verse? He didn't give me a verse. Well, and she relayed her story as her dad would not let her husband marry her unless God had given him a verse that says, you're going to marry my daughter. So she said, if God's directing you to join the army, show me the verse. And so I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I was looking for verses. And obviously I didn't find one because I never joined the army. But I did find a verse in Second Timothy that said, um, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So he gave me a verse, just not the one I was looking for. He gave me a verse that said, you're not joining, not you're going to. But that's one way God speaks to us through his word. Sometimes you're going to look for an answer to a question and you're going to be listening for an inner voice and God's just going to say, keep reading the word, it'll come. And that's a lot of times how God speaks. Now, God is not the only one who will communicate through our inner thoughts or our inner feelings. A lot of times Satan will try to influence our thoughts. The good thing is we have the word and we can go, "Eh, God wouldn't say that because it would be consistent with his words. Sometimes we'll have thoughts to push us in a certain direction. And you can look at the influence Satan does have in thoughts. And if you remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I'm paraphrasing, said, you are the Christ, uh, the son of God, basically. And Jesus said, my father in heaven revealed this to you. And then Jesus started telling him how he had to suffer and die and be raised up the third day. And Peter said, oh no, far be it from you, Lord, you're not going to do that. So Peter went instantly from hearing God's voice to probably was a little bit happy that Jesus said, oh, you got it right, Peter. And he's all, oh, cool, I got it right. And he kind of lets his guard down a little bit. And Satan kind of puts a foothold in there and says, no, you say this because he's going to say that. And Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of men, but the things of God. And so Peter was rebuked. He, there he had God speaking to him and Satan at the same time. Now, Peter, who is known for foot and mouth disease, should have probably thought about what he said before he said it. But, you know, he's imperfect like the rest of us. But anyway, Satan can speak to us too, so it's important to make sure we're matching everything with the word. Other times, our own heart and thoughts can influence us us against the spirit. If you look at Galatians 5.17, it says, The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And so, 
as I said, because we can sometimes be uncertain of whether this inner voice is really from God or not, we need to keep a few things in mind. One of those is, as I already mentioned, God will never contradict himself. We measure what we think God is telling us with what he has definitely told us in his word. They will always coincide. And number two, I think we should always be humble when it comes to the idea of God speaking to us. We can never truly trust our ability to hear from God by the inner voice accurately, which is why it's important to have the word. We need to make sure we're not misapplying anything we think that he has said. And number three, God, like I said, God doesn't speak to everybody in the same way. And if you haven't heard an inner voice, that doesn't make you less spiritual. A lot of times God doesn't speak that way to people. He does speak expressly through his word to some people, and that's how they're guided through life. And that's perfect. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it says in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word equips us for everything he's guiding us to do. It also says in 2 Peter 1, 3, that his design power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So everything we need is right here. We don't need to hope that we hear an inner voice or we need some special hyper-spiritual experience. We just need his word to guide us. Now Samuel's response, here I am, makes it seem like it was an audible voice. But again, we don't know. But what impresses me is the immediacy with which he gets up. Now, he must have had some good training from his mother, and obviously Eli continued that to some degree because he was faithful to get up right when he thought Eli had called him. Now, when I try to get my kids up in the morning, that's not the reaction that I get. My reaction is, why are you waking me up? Especially this morning, because we got up early to go to breakfast to take uh, my mom out to breakfast. And they were like, why are we getting up at 6.20 again? They, they were... They had a a bewildered look on their face. But his response, he got right up. He didn't give it a second thought. Um, He's probably also conscious that Eli is old and probably needed his help at this time. But still, uh, he ran to him and met his needs. Verse 5, and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. So now you have the... You know, my kids have sometimes come up in the morning. Oh, I thought you called me. No, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And, you know, so you get both sides of it there. Now, I'm sure Samuel thought, well, that was weird. I guess I'll just go back to bed. So again, verse 6, and the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Eli, my son, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So again, Samuel's obedience is impressive, for he immediately attends to the needs of Eli without delay. Now, he may have been wrong in thinking Eli was speaking to him, but he was right in what he did. If Eli had been calling, he would have run to Eli since he was blind and might need Samuel's help. Now, verses 7 and 8. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And a third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that it was the Lord calling the boy. Now, 
Samuel had been trained in the, by his parents, trained in the tabernacle. So he has this rote knowledge of everything about the Lord, but he does not have the experiential knowledge of the Lord yet. He doesn't know him personally. So that's why it says it had not been revealed to him yet. And then Eli, finally God pricks him in the heart and says, hey, I'm the one calling him. And he goes, okay. And so he lets him know. Now, Samuel was in good godly company when he answered, here I am. There's four other people in the Bible, five other people in the Bible, who answered, here I am, immediately after the Lord called them. Abraham in Genesis 22.1. This is the chapter where he's called to sacrifice Isaac. And God calls Abraham and he says, here I am. And he gets right up. And then Jacob, he calls in Genesis 46.2. Moses, he calls in Exodus 3.4. Isaiah in Isaiah 6.8. And Ananias, one of the disciples of Jesus in Acts 9.10. As soon as God called them, they said, here I am. What do you need? And uh, scripture records all these men responding with a heart to listen to what God had to say. They didn't hesitate. They just got up and said, I'm here. What do you need? So God confirms his word. God calls Samuel four times. And when God does speak to us, as I said, he's going to confirm it. It's not just going to be that one inner voice and you go run off and hope that it's the right thing. God's usually going to confirm it. And you've heard Pastor Bill's story about, I think I'm called to start a church in Lakeside. And God confirmed it through several different ways that he was supposed to start a church in Lakeside, and he did. So God's going to confirm these things. Verse 9, Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So Eli gives him four pieces of wise counsel just in that one verse um, concerning our relationship with God and being used by him. So Eli tells Samuel to make himself available for God to speak. Go lie down. Remember, it says, be still and know that I am God. So he's sitting down, he's lying down, and he's waiting. He's making himself available. Um, and it's, it's important to be still because we can be so constantly busy that his voice can be drowned out in our action. Even when that action is for the Lord, if we're constantly busy, and again, this is one of the reasons Bill and Patty had to have to step away. You know, they've been constantly at this, and they just realize, you know what? We need to step away so we get a clear, uh, we can hear more clear what he's saying to us. Um, so always take time to go to a quiet place and listen, just like Jesus did in Luke five sixteen. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now the second thing Eli tells Samuel is to not be presumptuous about God speaking. Because he says, if he calls you. So if he calls you again, you know, be ready, but... Don't just expect him to start speaking to you. Three, Eli tells Samuel to respond to the word of God. He says, speak, Lord, immediately. Here I am. Speak. And fourth, Eli tells Samuel to humble himself before God in his word. And he says, your servant hears. Not, okay, I'm here. What do you need? It's, I'm here. I'm your servant. What would you like me to do? So four things that... Eli teaches Samuel in that verse. Now, being humble, and this is a quote from 
uh, a Christian actor whose name is David A.R. White. He's, he played the pastor in the movie God is Not Dead, if you've seen that. He said, being humble is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Um, and it's also important to remember when listening for God. Um, many people hear God, but they can't be bothered to listen. One of my sixth grade teachers used to say, her name was Miss Lisiak, I think. She said, I know you hear me, but are you listening to me? And she didn't say that to me personally. She said the whole class. I'm just trying to make it seem like I was a troublemaker a lot. But that's what she would just say. And a lot of times we do hear, but we're not really listening. It's like that walkie-talkie static that I was talking about earlier. We're not always listening, just kind of hearing in the background. Now, verse 10. The Lord came and stood there calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. It does seem, and this is, I'm going to make my claim to, I think this was an audible voice. It seems like this was an audible voice because it says the Lord came and stood. So this is more than just hearing a distant voice. Just like when Paul was on the wreck or on the ship in Acts chapter 26, I believe it was. He said, an angel of the Lord stood by me tonight. Now, I believe that angel of the Lord was Christ, uh, a manifestation of Christ. And my personal opinion here is that this is a Christophany in the Old Testament. Jesus came and appeared and spoke to Samuel. Um, because, it's, like I said, it says he stood. And it may have been another unique appearing in the Old Testament. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Um, in two of the places in the Old Testament, at least two, Second Kings 21.12 and Jeremiah 19.3, when it says, I'm going to make the ears of the people tingle, it's always a sign of an impending judgment or a severe judgment that's going to happen. Verse 12 and 13. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. This is God confirming his word again. Remember, God always confirms it. So the first that Eli heard of this was the man of God, the nameless man of God who came and said, you're going to be judged because you did not restrain your sons. You did not control them. You were in charge, and you let them go. This is God confirming through the boy Samuel. Okay, this really was from God. Now it says, because of the sin he knew about, his sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. And it wasn't just that God had told Eli previously about the sins of his sons. Eli had himself observed them as well, as, and he had done nothing. Uh, Eli and his family are being judged because of the sins of his sons and that he failed to restrain them. Now, even though not everyone in Eli's family had taken part in the sin, it's not even clear that Eli himself had taken part in it. The part he did play was that he knew and did nothing. So the sins of his sons affected the rest of his family. And if we have some unrepentant sin in our life or something that we don't control, it can affect 
the rest of our family. A lot of times I see in my children the aspects of myself I would rather not see. And I have to correct them, but I always go and I correct them in such a way where I go, you know what? What you're doing is wrong, and you're sinning against God by doing it. But I know that you got that sinful nature. You were born into it, and I, that's the same problem that I struggle with. So there are certain times where they're in trouble, but they're not in trouble, but they're, they're still in trouble because what they did was wrong. But it just depends on how it came out that they get disciplined or corrected. But we need to be careful because, uh, let me give you an example. Elias, all my, son, all my kids have some attribute of myself that I would rather they not have. But Elias, he looks the most like me. He eats the most like me, especially as a kid because he's always hungry. He's always eating. And when I was a kid, and sometimes now, he has a bad temper, and he can be... I'm not vindictive now, but back then, I was very vindictive as a child. And if you got me, I was going to get you back, and I was going to make sure you knew it was me. And he's like that. Now, I look at him, and I go, okay, I've got to be patient with him because I know exactly what he's going through. I remember going through some of that stuff, and he's only... I forget how old he is. I think he's eight. Uh, but around that age. But, but I remember that. And so I look at that and I go, okay, Lord, I got to... This is also why it's important to pray for our children, grandchildren or nieces or nephews, because you look at those things and you go, I want to stop that. I don't want that to go to the next generation. And so a lot of times, um, and I don't pray with them every night, one-on-one like I like to, but they all ask for it please pray with me tonight. And we'll get together with them, and I'll pray that actually, a lot of times I'll pray that God, God reveals himself to them at a young age like he did to Samuel, and that they would grow up godlier than, than I was at that age. Because um, I was a terror to my mother. And, but anyway, we want to try to stop those things. Now, it does say Eli failed to restrain them. And they were adults at this time, so he, doesn't, he didn't necessarily need to restrain them as a father at this time. Maybe he should have when they were younger. But he was the high priest, and he should have restrained them and said, you know what, you're out of the priesthood, or you need to stop. All he said to them was a couple of light rebukes, like, my sons, why do you do this? Everybody knows this. And then he walked away and did nothing. Now, you can, I could tell my kids, don't do that, that's not right. But they're, the younger ones are still at a disciplinary age. And I have no problem doing that. And I always tell them, this is not because I enjoy this. This is because what you're doing is wrong. Now, I was, I think it was two or three weeks ago, or it might have been before Cambodia when I came back. But I was in there listening to the Bible study being taught to one of the kids. And I think it was Janie was asking questions about... You know, do your parents discipline you? And they were asking why, and she asked, why do they do it, and do you know why they do it? And Elias pipes up and says, well, I know my dad spanks me because he loves me, and he wants me to not do those things. And so I hear that, and I go, well, something got through. Hopefully it 
it stays. But I was very proud when he said that. I, I walked away going, oh, that was my son. Uh, I was very happy. But uh, Eli had failed to restrain him. And Eli's biggest sin in that was, uh, he who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. In James 4.17. His was the sin of omission. He failed to act. And his, again, his failure to act had far-reaching effects, not just in his family, but the nation of Israel itself. Um, we did read in earlier chapters how the nation abhorred the sacrifice of the Lord. And so even if we do, so if we do not correct sin in our life, or even as parents in our children's lives, we give opportunity for those who are outside to mock and abhor God because we have represented God poorly. So the principle here is really not effectively dealing with sin. It's going to have far-reaching negative effects. Now, verse 14. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. The judgment that was coming on his house was final. It was going to be carried out. Eli had had ample time by this time to correct or restrain his sons, but he did not. Um, And he had to be judged. And it wasn't that... I don't want it to seem like Eli himself was unsaved. I believe Eli was saved. I don't believe his sons were. But I believe Eli was just kind of stuck in a rut. And that can happen. But it was not atoned for in that he lost the position of prominence for his family being uh, the high priest, which was a great honor. Verses 15 through 17. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Eli made it clear to Samuel he had the responsibility to bring the message, even if it was bad news. Now, if you watch TBN, not everybody, they're not always bringing bad news. In fact, a lot of the faith healers or the is it name it and claim it type people or even Joel Osteen and other people like him, they don't mention God's judgment. They mention how wonderful what kind of wonderful things God has for you. Now, God God does have wonderful things for us. But you can't have those wonderful things if you haven't accepted the fact that judgment is coming and you've accepted Jesus to avoid that judgment. But if you just preach God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which is legitimate, but it's not the complete message. Now, When I read this verse, these verses also, I think of Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. And it says, Son of man, this is God talking to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, That wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, 
They will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning, and you will have saved yourself. So Eli, Eli should have been the watchman for Israel. He should have protected the people from his sons, and instead he let his sons have their way. God is now going to make Samuel his watchman. This is the transference here that's going to happen, or the transference begins to happen here. And in a similar way, we are also watchmen for our fellow brothers, sisters in Christ. We're also watchmen for the lost. If we see a brother or sister caught in a sin or in something questionable that can lead to a sin, we are supposed to lovingly confront them with scripture. Even if it means they get upset with us. There's a proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, if we have done this correction with scripture, the right motives and prayer, then hopefully they will be on the right path again. If not, at least we've been obedient. Now with the lost, if you've faithfully shared, then that's really all you can do. Uh, if our only opportunity is to hand out a tract to somebody, then at least we've been faithful in that. We just got to be faithful for those little things. And when you're following the will of God, a lot of times you end up walking alone for certain periods of time. Elijah, when he was running from Jezebel, thought, okay, Jezebel's killed everybody. I'm the only one left. And he thought for sure everybody else had fallen away. But God said, no, I've actually got, I can't remember the number, I think it's 7,000 people who haven't even kneeled to Baal. You've got those people. But for a while, Elijah was walking alone. God had him stained by the brook Kidron, and God fed him with the ravens. He was there alone, uh, seeking after God, but he walked alone. He had to stand uh, against Jezebel and Ahab by himself. And sometimes that happens. But when you think about it, he wasn't alone and neither are we because we have God to rely on to, to begin with. We're, it's him that we lean on. Now, I think it was admirable of Eli because he was willing to be taught from an unexpected source. He wanted to hear the bad news, which I, have, I believe personally that he had some idea of what was being uh, spoken. Maybe not wholeheartedly or everything, but he must have had some idea because I think he could sense um, God building up Samuel. And Eli wanted to hear all of God's message. And, you know, it can be hard to accept something from someone younger than you. Now, Eli at this point is probably in his 90s. Samuel is probably in his early teens at the oldest, I believe, when this happens. So that's a big gap. And someone who's been in the faith for 90 years, like Eli, compared to someone who has just heard from God for the first time, that's when you know God has brought you to a place of humility, when you're willing to listen to that person. Now, Eli realized that God uses people of all ages, and so he had to be teachable. Now, this 
I can similarly relate to this as well. Um, when I first got hired at my job, um, I actually didn't want to be in charge of anything. I just wanted to be a cart puller. That's really all I wanted to get wanted to do. Because um, it's simple. It's no responsibility. I got paid well for it, and it was good exercise. That's, I didn't want to do anything else. But uh, eventually, I applied to be a supervisor after about a year. And one of the interview questions was, um, you've been in, and I'm paraphrasing it, I don't remember it exactly, but you've only been here a year. How are you going to respond to an employee who has been here 20 years with more experience who disagrees with your orders? And they had some specific employees in mind who I'd be working with if I got the job. And I was honestly, I was like, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. I just assumed they'd just do what I said. Um, and so I didn't have a good answer in my opinion. Um, I said something to the effect of, I hadn't thought of that hypothetical situation, and I'd have to deal with it when it came up. Um, and I eventually got one of the positions open. But when I first became a supervisor, I had to deal with that situation where there were people with this great amount of experience in the job in the field that I was in, am in, and here I am only been there a year and I'm still absorbing all this information about retail and how the company works and everything. And it worked out. Um, I respected their opinion and their experience and applied their knowledge, some of it and some of it I didn't. But, you know, I grew into that relationship with them. And this is kind of what uh, Eli has to do. He has to go, you know what? This kid doesn't have any experience, but God is still using him. And that's kind of, there's no God over my company, but um, that's kind of a the similar situation. Now, verse 18, so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. You know, it's difficult to bring a message of judgment, but it's always the responsibility of God's messenger to bring everything God says. Like I said, not just the easy words. It's a dangerous thing, both for the messenger and the hearers, when the messenger fails to tell everything God says. And Paul himself, when he left the church of Ephesians, he brought them down to the river and he said, look, I'm going to testify before you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And if you look at that passage, the Ephesians were on the ground with him praying, crying because he was leaving, because they knew he was right. They knew he cared enough to say the bad with the good. And so Paul had made an impact with that church. Well, all the, a lot of the churches he was at, but with Ephesus especially, he was there several years. Verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That's a good phrase. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Samuel. And there's really nothing better than that. For us to be able to say, you know, I've given everything to him, and he's with me. I trust him. I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, for the Christian, we can quote Romans 8.31. We can say, if God is for us, there's no one who can be against us. Uh, and that's, this is where Samuel was. In verse 20, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of God. 
Now, since the days of Moses, and this is about 400 years before Samuel, there hadn't been many prophets in Israel. There were some, but there weren't any prominent or or great prophets that that we would think of like Moses. And so at this junction in history, God raises up Samuel. Now, as I said, Samuel is seen as Israel's last judge. He's also seen as the first prophet. Now, Moses was a prophet. Uh, Abraham was considered a prophet. But Samuel is considered uh, the preeminent prophet. He basically started the school of the prophets in Israel. So when you read Jesus saying, read everything that's written in the law and the prophets, they're talking about everything from Moses in the law and to Samuel and the prophets. All the prophets get their origin from Samuel. And throughout the book of Judges, when God raised up a judge, he led the nation mostly through political and military influence. And now he's going to do that through a different way. He's still going to have some of those other things. But Samuel uh, Samuel led as a prophet through spiritual influence. And you can see the influence he had because even Saul, when he was a king, uh, humbled himself in the presence of Samuel. Now, verse 21 The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The Lord appeared again in Shiloh. The Lord first appeared in Shiloh that we see uh, in 1 Samuel. Well, 1 Samuel 3.10, he appears to Samuel in Shiloh. How many times he appeared before that, we're actually not told. But we know because of the state of Israel during the times of the judges, it probably was not often because they did what was right in their own eyes. And the Lord appeared again, and he revealed himself through his word to Samuel. Now Samuel, as we'll see in a later chapter, had an influence on this circuit route. He would travel between three or four cities, and he would judge and give the word of God in those cities. And everybody would come from, it says, Dan to Beersheba. And now Dan is the northernmost in Israel. Beersheba is the southernmost. So from the south to the north, everybody came to hear what God had to say. It was worth traveling for to hear what God had to say through Samuel. So, in conclusion... You can read this chapter... And really, we want to make sure that we have hearts that are ready ready to listen to his word. We want to make sure that if our heart has received the word, that we're available for that use, as Samuel was, and that we're obedient to those commands. We just got to make sure that, you know, it's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. And I, I tell my kids this all the time. You didn't clean your room. I know. Okay, I know you know, but you did not do. You must do now. And when we know God has called us to do something, we need to do it. And as I think it was last week or the week before, Pastor Paul brought up the tracks, handing out tracks. It's not hard. And you're going to be rejected. And my kids were rejected when they were handing out tracks, but they thought, oh, it's not a big deal. Just give it to the next person. And they did. And they had a great time doing it just because they're like, ah, This is what God wants us to do, and they're excited. And that's the excitement we need to have. And 
they were doing it and they were excited and they were strategizing about how they were going to do it. And Christian, Christian would do this. Okay, Elias, if there's three people coming, if you hold them out in your hands like this, they can each grab one really easily. Or, you know, or they would talk about, okay, I'm going to get this one. You go to this side of the trail and you can hand it to this person. And so they were, I mean, they were enjoying it. And sometimes you think, oh, God's going to command me something burdensome. Well, make the burdensome thing fun. They made it fun. They made it more fun than I thought it was going to be walking on the trail with them. And, you know what? It's fun even when it's hard when you know you're being obedient. And with that, let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have it to read freely. And I do pray we would take more advantage of it. Lord, help us to be obedient when you've called us to do something. You don't always call the easy things to do. But Lord, when we carry your burden, you make it easy. You make it light. And we're not leaning on our own strength to do it. We're leaning on yours. Lord, help us to hear your words clearly. Help us to get aside in a quiet place each day, each week, to listen to what you have to say so that we can make sure we're doing exactly as you want. Just pray that you'd fill everyone in here with your spirit and that they would go out and continue to minister your word to others. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.